you know, we give the Gen Ys a hard time, but I don't think they're too bad. And I think, um, you know, as as the the prior generation, it's our it's important that we empower this generation. You know, instead of just pointing the finger and saying they're like this because of that, we need to actually look at how can we empower them. listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Good everyone and welcome to uh, episode 24 of the NZP TeacherCast. Um, just before we get started, you might have noticed that I have shifted a lot of the, the content, um, the podcast episodes onto Facebook, so um, do feel free to jump onto that page, uh, NZP TeacherCast on Facebook, and like the page and like the podcast. But moving on, um, I, I'm really excited to be able to uh, interview a, a close friend of mine that I went to uni with. Um, his name is Jason Costa, and, and he's, he's a bit of a big deal. Uh, he is a Commonwealth bronze medalist in his sport of judo, um, and he has a, a bit of a role in, in tertiary education and, and a few other tidbits that we're gonna that we're gonna touch on throughout this podcast. So it's gonna be um, it's gonna be quite a cool one, but um, we'll get straight into it. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carla. Yeah, I look forward to it. So, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your experience and a few tidbits about your current role in education because you're not actually in front of a classroom, are you? No, I, um, our, our curriculum is all in, a, in an online um, spectrum. And I guess how I got there was effectively, you know, as, you, as you mentioned, we studied together. And, um, you know, back in 2004, I intended on going the sort of... Um, I guess you'd say the the uh, academical science route with the sports science, but I was a little bit disheartened because I felt I couldn't help many people doing that. And, and while it was good to prove you know theories and, and do research papers and that sort of stuff, uh, I think it's fair to say with sports science, it's more proving stuff that's already being practiced. So it's, it's almost like uh, you know we're there to verify that hey these training methods do work. And for me, I was sort of like, well, that's not really going to help that many people. Naturally, um, yeah, as you mentioned, I had my sporting career, so I was um, any work I was doing was to supplement the sporting career. But you know, I missed out on the uh, London Olympics. Came back home and I was like, right, what am I going to do with myself? Um, fell into a role personal training. From that, I got to the point where I was too busy, so I had to hire trainers that didn't work for me and. Um, you know, one of my uh, business partners at Fit Future said, hey, um, how can we get more successful trainers? And that's that's where basically our Fit Futures Learning Institute was born. And that, that we said, well, you know, let, let's actually organize and uh, operate a, a learning institute online to help people get into the, the scope of the fitness industry. That's, um, that's, that's really interesting because that online learning space is something that I'm really passionate about. Mm. And if you, if you look at... Um, so you mentioned being this co-founding this Fit Futures, which is a tertiary learning institute that specialises in helping students 
become personal trainers, there's already, I guess, physical um, uh, institutes that people can go to, like mm. NZIS, that they can upskill and, I guess, learn about this personal training in the fitness industry and exercise science and stuff like that, and they can go to phys ed school and do degrees. How? What's your point of difference between between those? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. Put futures to the others. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a good question. And, you know, having worked at a couple of the other institutes, which I won't name, but... Um, Again, I was pretty disheartened because um, it didn't feel like they were adequately preparing um, people, you know, for for the industry. I I equate it to like they were expert swimmers that had never been in the pool. You know, there was uh, people that actually had never um, cut their teeth on the gym floor. And so a lot of the requirements to be a successful personal trainer are are beyond just, you know, having a really good database and knowledge of the body. It's it's that building rapport with people, sales side of things. and then when we looked at the people that we really wanted to help or, you know, what NCQA and TEC would classify as your um, priority learners, uh, under 25 Māori and or Pacific Island populations, we found that a lot of them had moved into full-time employment and it was not always possible for them to say, hey, I'm going to give up all my commitments, um, you know, uh, stop working, stop earning it and go back to study. So we developed a system where basically they could work in somewhat of an internship so the first four months of the education was more of the um, theory um, side of things, you know, learning the foundation and the background. And then what we did was we tied them into the uh, local gym or the local community, um, which again is another big focal point with health and fitness, obviously it's changing the community. And they would get, you know, uh, their practical experience through local gyms and, and, and as I like to term, an internship. And what's been really, really positive about it is that 80% of people that have gone on to graduate have then have gone on to work in those um those fitness centers so the other big link with us is we actually have that really strong industry connection and we um we do a lot of aftercare with our graduates because um for us you know we're not succeeding if they're not in the industry succeeding as well that links in really well for kind of the audience that listens to the nzp teacher cast because we have a lot of physical educators and in education particularly in secondary it's all about finding pathways and um, creating more authentic experiences for our students and we see uh, we see a lot of students in PE that kind of, um, you have your academic pathway mm-hmm. and then you have students that might not be um, as as capable for an academic pathway and they might not be kind of targeting that uh, degree level study. Do you think something like Fit Futures um, is a viable option for our secondary PE and health school leavers? I, I definitely think so, and we've worked really, really hard. You know, I've taken the course from being an idea that I had to, you know, writing all the curriculum, getting it um, NZQA accredited, so it's a level four national certificate in personal training. Um, and as I say, it's a very much a viable option because, you know, a lot of people, as you say, the academic pathway is not necessarily for them. Um, and if we can get them into something like the fitness industry, there's a real passion. Not that um, to be a personal trainer, you don't need to know academics. It's still, that's a big No, no, absolutely. But again, it's, it's one of those things, and, and it's something I can attest to, is I learned more, you know, in that first sort of six to eight months once I'd graduated, you know, than I'd probably learned in the last two years as, as opposed to real world knowledge. But, you know, the, the house advantage of me having those four years behind me does come into play. But, you know, as you say, it's one of those things that the, the academia in terms of when you are working in a, in a role is, is usually driven by passion. 
And so normally, you know, if someone graduates with us, you know, they actually go on to do other study in the scope of either nutrition, uh, final phase rehab, so, you know, becoming a, a, a specialist in that area, um, as well as the most common ones, you know, like fat loss, muscle gain, looking good, basically. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a viable option. And I think it... Um, it's it's it is that sort of that mid ground between those people to hey I'm definitely going to go on to do you know um, uh, uni level education um, institute technology level education and those that are sort of saying hey I'm still trying to find myself I'm going to earn a little bit of money and then and then the passion usually drives them to where they actually want to be studying and where they see their career. Mm, that's that's cool. Um, one thing I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on because I'm I'm seeing in, because I teach in secondary and. You're seeing this, uh, I guess, with the influx of social media and 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 Instagram and, and all of that coming on board. You're seeing this fitspiration and, and all these models and, and buff dudes and they they post their things and and all of a sudden it's it's um, it's popular to to be in in fitness and mm. go to the gym and stuff like that. You seen any? You'd see that firsthand, right? Yeah, and and you know there there is. Um People these days, they, they, they're really quick to celebrate their own success. And that becomes a double-edged sword because, you know, for me, it's fantastic to see someone that, hey, I didn't have much confidence before, but now I'm, you know, I'm proud of what I've achieved and I'm, I'm working towards something. Um, but then on the flip side of it, it's um, we, we lose a bit of that long-term focus and, and, and working towards more meaningful projects. So the, the, the Fitspo movement is is not bad but like any movement there are bad aspects to it you know i had a discussion with a parent the other day and they said oh look my son's gone and spent 80 dollars on protein powder and then he um his gym memberships you know uh, 15 dollars a week and he sees a trainer that's 46 dollars a week and i said to him okay cool so they're spending a uh, 140 dollars right there on something which is actually increasing their longevity making them a better person increasing their health and I said to them, okay, so would you rather they did that or that you were having them spend it on alcohol, cigarettes, and, and you know, things that aren't so positive? So, you know, I, I always like to try and see, you know, the glasses being half full. And, yeah, and I think there's, um, there's definitely some strong aspects of it that are really, really important. And the cool thing with the fitness industry, though, is that the people that have got the, the why of helping people, if that's the core value, they tend to stick around. Um, it can often be described as a bit of a flash in the pan because, you know, people are... Uh, um, they, they, they look really good for one show and they, they get some really nice photos and, <laughs> and then they live that online presence for the, the rest of their life. But the ones that are really out there trying to make a change, um, they tend to have a, a stronger core value around helping people. Um, and, you know, m- one of my big ethos is I'd rather have someone that's 20% body fat and happy than 2% miserable. And it's about, you know, realizing that, hey, when you change, you give people around you permission to change and and that's why, again, uh, the, the, the social media side of thing, you know, I, I sort of turn a bit of a blind eye to a lot of that because um, I'm much rather focused on those more grounded people in the industry. Okay, okay, answer this then, short answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, Fitzbo, yay or nay, do it, is uh, the impact on society is positive or negative? No sitting on the fence. You get rid of it or keep it? What, your societal influence. <laughs> I'm going to say. Is it good for society or bad for society? It's good for society because now we see that um, health and fitness is becoming the norm in the mainstream. And you go to a country like Brazil, um, and it, it's just it's 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 the norm. Everyone is healthy, everyone is fit. Um, you, you know, w- with a little bit of vanity, though, it does become longevity. And as I say, as, as long as people are doing the right things. So, yeah, to give you a no on the fence answer, fit spoke. Sure, I'm, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to those Instagram photos. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
you're you're an elite athlete, and it's got it's it's kind of hard for me to view you as that because to me you're just big Jason that I went to uni with. But elite judo athlete, Commonwealth medalist, Olympic coach, what drives you to continue giving to the sport of judo after so long? Yeah, it's um, it's one of those. I I, I guess you'd say it's a love hate relationship, and I think with anything that you love there is a period where you hate it, you know, or, or you, you question it and you look at, you know, why you're doing that. And, um, I'm happy that you just view me as, as not being an elite athlete and just big Jason. Cause one of the things I never wanted to be known as is, Oh, he's the judo guy. Or, you know, because again, that becomes your identity. And one thing I found in missing out on 2012 was that, um, you know, it, it can be a lot of soul searching after you miss out on something, which is such an important part of your life. And, you know, one of the, the dark secrets around the Olympics and top level athletes is the 12 months after. You know, a lot of these guys, they have, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of um, mental health issues with depression because, you know, it's this big peak and then all of a sudden I've done it and then it's like, oh, now what? Okay, well, that's what I've worked my whole life for. And, you know, there, there is, a, you know, a few obviously tragic stories where athletes have taken their life. And uh, I guess one thing I've always worked hard on is, you know, there's more to life than judo, but judo is my life. And one of my ethos is, as a coach is to, you know, make good people. And if they happen to be good at judo, okay, cool. And in terms of what drives me to continue doing it, it's, as I say, it's just that passion. It's like, um, it is, I guess, my obsession. You know, it's, it's something that every day I'm thinking about, I'm uh, working towards. And there's a lot of uh, social responsibility for me to give back. As you know, judo is an amateur sport, so we um you know when we're heading away overseas sometimes the the sponsors are mum and dad or the sponsors are the people that have uh you know watched you on that journey and i think it would be a little bit irresponsible for me to just at the end of it go okay cool pack up i'm just going to focus on myself now it's it's a lot of it is around giving back and and um you know when you give back to so many people it's um you find out a lot about yourself and who's really there for you and it's it's really really cool to see now this next generation come through and, and be quite successful so my passion is definitely again you know returning back to the, the helping people thing it's definitely that but it's also judo it's just it's just my, my, my love my second love after my wife of course yeah. i i think it's you know it's really cool to see uh, you mentioned um kind of just being being grounded and like uh, you know you've um, you've put me up for the week while I'm at mass conference and you know it's really apparent that you you like I, I've got this perception in my head because it's something that I always strive to be you know at that Olympic level as as an athlete and you put these these Olympians up there as like on this pedestal not that you shouldn't be on a pedestal for achieving really highly in, in sport but that you almost see them as abnormal in a sense that it's beyond it's out of reach mm. but then just seeing you and and your wife moira um who competed at the last olympics as well in judo um seeing you day to day you are just normal people you know <laughs> you're just really good at what you do but you're not different to the rest of society and, and i think that's really cool that you you still manage to keep that um that really grounded approach to life and and judo is your passion and and you're so passionate about it and it's that's what we try to instill in our students is they, they want to get good at something and you try to encourage them to be passionate about it not just oh yeah cool I'm, you know i'm passionate about rugby and i've got training twice a week and sometimes i hit the gym you know they need to live it mm. and that's um i think you can see that um with you and that's that's really cool to cool to hear but in terms of, of judo i know i know nothing about judo and i watch you compete at nationals 
last weekend, which um, you had some good results. And I picked up some interesting tidbits trying to understand some of the rules. So despite it being a combat sport, it seems that it has quite a holistic feel to it. Would that be right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and interestingly enough, you know, the, in a lot of sports, like, you know, the, the Crusaders wouldn't go and, you know, do a trip to Needham and train with the Highlanders. But um, judo's kind of the opposite. Um, we we all train together. We all have training camps together. And this goes on a world world scale as well. Um, we all do big training camps where you'll be literally training with your uh, opponents. Um, there's a lot of respect, which is, you know, being the traditional sort of Japanese martial art, there's respect always tied into that. So um, we're very much, it's almost like a, a, a brotherhood in that we all, you know, we go out there, we fight, we obviously try to beat each other. But at the end of the day, it's um, it's a combat sport, but we, um, we're we all going through it. So we all understand what it's like to go through it. And, you know, even as far as... Um, you know, my last run towards Rio to try and make the qualification, which, as we've alluded to, I, I missed out on. I, in one of my first rounds of a fight in Azerbaijan, I bet this American guy, and in beating him, I cut his chances for Rio, and I saw him immediately after the fight, and he was obviously quite down. I actually felt really bad for him, because I was like, man, I've just gone and, you know, taken his lunch, basically. But, you know, that's the sort of level of camaraderie that we do have, is that you... You know, you're out there to beat each other, but you also feel for each other and you empathize with each other because you know what it's like to be traveling and that sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, just after the holistic thing, judo, you know, I obviously take more of the competitive element to it, but, um, you know, in my class, we've got people that are, um, doing judo from a social aspect. Um, you've got people that want that little bit of increased confidence, self defense, um, right down to, um, you know, the, the kids that, uh, um, perhaps don't fit in society in other areas and it's good to get some camaraderie there. So, yeah, it's a bit more than, you know, the, 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 the saying is judo is more than just a sport, and I think that's really true. Yeah. While you're not in a classroom per se, um, I, I saw you at nationals and, and watching you compete and then watching you interact with athletes from your club. It's clear that athlete coaching and development is a big part of, like, an educational focus for you. So do you, with this focus of, of bringing up some of these younger athletes, do you do it in a way that encompasses, say, all aspects of order or well-being, so their their physical, their social, their mental, emotional, and their spiritual well-being, or is it simply a, an A plus B equals C? So do this to achieve yeah. this. Great question. Um, and I refer back to when we developed Fit Futures. We established what we called the four po or four posts of um, basically making a great person: uh, technical, tactical, physical, and psychological. And I feel again, you can have, and I've seen it firsthand, is that you have these. Um, you know, people that are physically very, very dominant, you know, specimens, and they do very, very well. But unfortunately, once sports sort of uh, chewed them up and split them out, they have no real life skills. And so for me or for my athletes, it's important to educate and empower them in, in those other areas. You know, when I talk about um, technical, I'm not just talking about on the mat, I'm t- talking about life skills. So, you know, there are times when I will challenge them. Um, they may not know I'm challenging them, but I'll do things deliberately like... Um, There'll be sessions where I'm a little bit harder on them than I normally would be. Um, there's always a lesson at the end of it. Um, and that that's teaching them to overcome adversity because, you know, me yelling at you and, and you know, a club down the road is uh, preparing you for when you go to Brazil and there's 10,000 screaming Brazilians, you know. Um, or more importantly, it's preparing you for when you go into your first ever job interview. And, um, you know, you're used to that pressure there. And in terms of the tactical stuff, you know, um, I, I'm a big believer in um, not just doing things because tradition dictates it. 
So, um, you know, something that uh, we both resonate over is the 80-20 rule. So, you know, if, if I can put 20% of my effort in one area and get 80% of results, I can do that. So I put questions or I pose challenges to my athletes that they need to come up with what's their 20% and figuring out ways that they can say, hey, I might not have these advantages um, that other people have, but what are some advantages I can have? In terms of the psychological, um, again, I, I, I outsource psychologists and I get them to understand that process because I think that is one of the most untapped areas of development is, is understanding the psychology. And I honestly believe until you understand someone's psychology, you'll never master their physiology. So again, with the that side of things, each one of my players I have an independent relationship with. So the way I coach player A is completely different to the way I coach player B. You know, um, I've got a, a couple of athletes that are very introverted and I need to put things in articulate terms with them and I need to say, right, this is the process behind what we're going to do. We're going to go out there and do this. This will lead to this process, and that's going to give us this result. Then I've got other like little fireballs, you know, that I'm just like, right, you're going to go out there and smash this guy, and it's your mat, and you're going to be the boss today, you know. And we get the same results, but again, it's um, it's playing, um, you know, um, playing your cards, you know, and it's 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 that's a really big important thing is that I've got to develop, as I say, great people that again will become great leaders one day. And look, at the end of the day. You know, judo is a very unforgiving sport. You know, we're in a sport where I can spend five thousand dollars, travel halfway across the world, turn up, lose my first fight in a tournament, and be done. You know, it's 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 that 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 um that drastic. So if I can prepare these guys for that, and then any other challenges in life that are similar, then you know we're on the right track of it. I was listening to a podcast recently, and I'm just trying to think of whose podcast it was, and I can't think of it. But there was a statement made in this podcast. And he basically said that it's it's really easy to be successful today uh, if you are if you are disciplined and and strong willed and of sound mind because society has become so weak um, in the mind. It's so weak minded. Mm. You, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, and I think um, you know we give the Gen Ys a hard time, but I don't think they're too bad. And I think um, you know as as the the prior generation, it's our it's important that we empower this generation you know instead of just pointing the finger and saying they're like this because of that we need to actually look at how can we empower them and you know with regards to being weak in the mind I think what happens is that you know you're only as good as your options and and what happens is people these days they do something they get a little bit of success they share the Instagram uh, (laughs) update about it and then that next level is where the challenge comes and that first point of adversity comes and that's where with all the options we have today, that's what breeds the entitlement, you know. And you know, the great example of that is that, you know, my generation, the average person has six jobs. I worked out that I've had seven jobs. You know, um, this generation is twenty, mm. and because what happens is that they work in a place for three or four months, they go, "I'm worth more than this. I should be getting paid more than this. I should be deserving this promotion. I'm going to go elsewhere." And then they start at the bottom of the same rung at another company. Versus if you look at our generation, it was, no, no, you work hard for two or three years, you work your way up the ladder. Um, and, and that comes again with that instant gratification we have these days. So I think with that mental toughness, it's it's a case of um, providing, you know, samples of success for people, but also setting them then challenges on that. And, you know, one big theme which I had from uh, uh, my PT days is uh, at the end of a session always be two positives, two work-ons and a laugh, you know, and... You've got to show them that success that they've previously had over the last six months, 12 months, you know, whatever it is, and then make them realize that, hey, that success is only get a little bit further down the line. 
But um, the, 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 with regards to building that mental toughness, yeah, I think we need to take a different approach than perhaps we did in the old days, you know, because it was easy to be mentally tough when all you had to do was, you know, a very limited spectrum of things. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, you know, if we even look at sport alone, it's like, okay, well, I can't do judo. Well, I'll move over to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, no, I don't really like that. I'm moving to kickboxing. Oh, hang on, there's a Frisbee golf club, you know, and it's, it's very easy for people <laughs> to, like, you know, have, like, a, a smorgasbord of choice. But, you know, when you look at the ones that are sustainable and... Um, you know, you often find that's why a lot of people have had adversity growing up tend to be the best athletes and the most driven because they're, they're you know, they're, they're fighting some uh, some demons in some respects, mm. you know, they're, they're trying to make a change. And mm. that's why it is, it's, I do often put my athletes through a little bit of adversity. Um, I am very lucky with the athletes I have, though. A lot of them have got very good role models in their uh, parents and, and also we've got a very good culture in the club and, you know, culture's often talked about... Um, but it's hard to define, and um, I think with the guys I I build, the, the culture's been built because I've seen myself and my wife Moira, you know, having a crack and, and, and working hard, and and they see that hey, the leader's working hard, you know, there's no reason it can't filter down into others, and you know, I just remember the fact that one of the first times I ever saw that was when I one of my first ever jobs was working at the warehouse on checkouts, and. I went home and I said to my mum, oh, yeah, you know, the boss, he was out there moving the trolleys and that around. And mum said to me, that's exactly the type of boss you want to learn from because, you know, they're prepared to do, you know, the, the groundwork and, and uh, not above anything. And then when you see someone like that, it means that, you know, you can work overtime for them. And when it comes to sport, that's exactly it. When you tell them I need a little bit more from you, they know that you would give the same. So it's, it's easy to build that mental toughness. So on that mental toughness and facing adversity... There's this common theme that, that often appears in junior health and, and that's dealing with or, or, or providing strategies for our students to deal with change, loss and grief. Mm. You've now missed Olympic qualifying two times and, and I can't really imagine what it must be like to get so close and miss out on something that you've spent more than half your life working towards. What strategies have you employed while being in that situation? Yeah, um, you know, and again, it's still when you say it, it still does cause a little bit of pain in the heart. And I'm sorry to ask you, mate. No, no, that's no, all good. And, and you know, and because it is the interesting story that people want to, you know, want to hear, and, and I guess want to learn from. When I look at 2012, um, I didn't have much structure in my life, and I had compartmentalized my life a little bit too much. So, um. What that meant is that uh, I was, again, singularity of purpose. I was just focusing on my judo, and I didn't allow myself success in other areas. Um, and with that, it meant that when I lost in judo, it was like everything was lost. And it's funny because I look back, and every time I'd lose a fight in Europe, you know, and I was going against, like, professionals, you know, like guys that were training full-time, state, you know, funded, that sort of stuff, and I'd lose, and I'd be so hard on myself. And then... You know, I was having dinner one night with these Romanian guys, and again, they they just lost a few, you know, a few fights on the day, and I was just sitting down there and I didn't even phase them. And it kind of made me start to realize that, hey, you know, it's okay to lose. But um, it was hard because, you know, you come from New Zealand, and we've got an interesting culture in New Zealand. It's that, you know, we, when you look at it really, we punch above our weight in a lot of sports, and we expect that success, which is, I think it's it's good. It's a, it's a good breeding ground. But we're very quick to tear our um our athletes down and so for me a lot of it when i was away you know unfortunately some people in the judo community can can be quite fickle and um they basically want to see you do poorly and so you you know because then they can say well you know the old thing the older i get the better i was you know and they say oh well back in my day i did this you know it's a different thing but anyway 
the big thing with it was it was like you felt like you're letting down a lot of people when I do poorly and you know even to this day I still do if I perform poorly I do feel like I'm letting people down but you know after 2012 um, we had a success in the Commonwealth Games in 2014 and that was all on track for Rio and Rio was in great shape I had you know fantastic personal life business things were going well and then again it, it just didn't happen uh, I still to this day can't realise it and and you know the phone call to, to mum and dad is always the hardest stuff I do poorly because it's like you know they're, they're my day one biggest fans you know they 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 are eternal optimists for me they want the best for me and, and dad just said to me he said look it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know we don't like Jason the judo guy we like Jason our son you know and it kind of really helped me put things in perspective and you know don't get me wrong there was still a number of tears and you know soul searching nights and that sort of stuff but I think at that stage because I had so many other things going on and I didn't compartmentalize my life as well I could allow a little bit of success from other areas to sort of filter over and help with it and you know I think yeah dealing with loss and grief it's it needs to be normalized it needs to be people don't need to realize hey that's part of life you know um and losing a rugby game you know while at the time it is hard and it hurts and you know it may seem like a big deal in two weeks time it won't actually matter that much you know and one of my early coaches um Fiona who you know um you know she she said to me after I missed out on um London she said to me I know it doesn't feel like it, but the journey is probably more important than the destination. And it felt like one of those cliche things at the time. But when I look back on all that experience I've built up, including my loss and including the grief, and you know, when I say loss, I've actually lost a few people along the journey as far as um, with mental illness, cancer, that sort of stuff. And when I look at all of that that I've been through, it means that I'm now in a really powerful position to help these kids. As opposed to looking up to and going, oh yeah, Jason won everything and he is always the greatest. You know, they, they've seen that, hey, he, he took a chance, he took a punt and he fell over. But look at him, he's still going now. And, you know, I, I think uh, I'm very happy with how my life is at the moment. And, and that's even with the losses that I did have. So as far as, you know, people that are dealing with kids, you know, you just got to normalize loss. I mean, loss is a part of life. And, uh, the more we try and make it seem like this taboo, it's it's the the, the more you know like uh, um, I guess uh, abnormal it becomes. So yeah, for me, loss is a part of it. It's not a part you want to experience a lot of, and that's why it's still good that you need to have some success along the way. And you know, it wasn't like I was hey, you know, if I was trying to make the hundred meter sprints, <laughs> you know, with with my my, my body, and that you know, <laughs> sure there will be a time where someone says, hey, you're losing a bit more than you're winning, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think that's a very much an important part of life, is it? And it's got to be seen as being normal. I like I like your perspective, and and I like how you you somehow managed to slot back in there, how um, giving back to the community and the judo community. So it just shows where your values sit, and that's um that's really cool to 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 hear. So on that, going from a negative to a positive, can you describe the feeling of standing on the dice to receive a Commonwealth medal for your country? That must have been insane. Yeah, it was. Um... You know, I, mean, I remember. Um, I don't think I told you this, but we were like, we were, uh, we we was we was where were you competing? Glasgow, Glasgow. That's yeah. right. And Jess and I would set the alarm for all your fights, and we'd get up and watch. And it was just so cool watching you. I don't think I ever told you that, but no, um, we were so proud of you. It's it's funny because you know, um, I didn't get the gold, 
and no one goes there to win a bronze medal but a lot of people have put in a perspective and said hey you know think back to young Jason he would have you know absolutely loved the bronze medal and you know I said at the time and I, I mean it to this day and just hearing what you said then really resonates that but the the Commonwealth is always a tournament for everyone that's been there for me and everyone that's gone through the loss and everyone that's sort of had to deal with hey no Jason can't come out tonight he's got training tomorrow morning or you know everyone that's had to ever put up with any of that and you know a lot of my best memories growing up is with my grand who unfortunately passed in 2000 uh, sorry yeah 2004 a lot of my best memories growing up were watching the games and hey this guy's a Kiwi hey this guy's from the coast this guy's from Christchurch and thinking man these guys are awesome they were like superheroes you know mm-hmm. like you looked up to them and, and they did that and and you know it was um to win the bronze it was um it's definitely not my it's not my um proudest moment as a judoka but it's definitely my proudest moment as a costa and to you know just to see the the absolute you know joy in mum and dad's face and you know when i came off and um you know more was waiting there for me and then the press and it was just like everyone wanted a pc you know it was just like man you, you didn't really sort of get a, a real sense of how big it was until people that i haven't spoken to since i was a kid uh you know contacting me and saying man that was awesome and you know i always talked about like you know christchurch had been for a lot of that stage earthquakes that sort of stuff and a lot of people in our close um community have been for a lot and just to give them a glimmer of something they could be happy about and proud about and you know feel feel i guess a part of that success that that was the best feeling around it all the you know standing out there getting the medal you know to be honest a little bit bittersweet because uh another anthem was playing not mine but you know when it was um you come home and you see people that are just they're just so proud of you and 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 the pride that they wear for themselves with it you know the commonwealth medals are the only medals that more and i ever put on display um and the reason being is that when people would come over would say wear it put it on it's your medal it's, it's, it's the country's medal it's not mine and you know that was the real sense of pride of that medal yeah i mean that's um and i think particularly in your sport the emotion of that bronze when you were going for gold you lose that that match that means you're mm. not you're not you're not going to get gold or silver but you're going to either get your bronze or you're going to go home with nothing mm. I mean you got to go from that to then get up for that fight and um, that was hard yeah it was um, the guy I fought was an, an Australian guy and we you know we'd um, we've always ended up fighting each other in these sort of tournaments um, uh, he, he I guess he got the final laugh because uh, I lost to him as far as um, going to Rio he didn't end up going to Rio either but if I'd beaten him and, and the Oceania champs I would have gone and you know it was the only time I lost to him but it, it was you go from that immediate, you know, that, that down of, I've just lost the fight. Um, I've now got to pick myself back up. Otherwise, I'm going home empty-handed. But, again, a big part of the psychology of us is that we always leave the fight behind. Um, you know, there's the old cliche, you're only as good as your last game. I don't believe that. I believe you're only as good as your next game. Um, and we can see that. We can see people have had absolute shockers. And that's why in the semi-final, I had a shocker. I went out there and fought the uh, flag bearer for Scotland. So, the, you know, the... The, the hometown hero and I um, I uh, came into the pressure a little bit and I wasn't patient and ended up losing um, but then I quickly had to park that and it was all positive and again having Moira there who the previous day won a silver um, having her there to be like hey let's get on with this next one this next one's the big one you know this is the job now this is the focus um, yeah it's um, it, it's 
It can be a challenge, uh, but when when you've done it a few times, you sort of realise, hey, it's a part of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the process of of building a gym. Uh, How is that progressing? Yeah. So uh, effectively, um, you know, I like to be busy, and um, so. Uh, as I say, with my personal training business, we have a team of 14, soon to be 15 personal trainers, and we want to get them all under the one uh, roof. Um, can't say too much about it at the moment. Again, a lot of the stuff I've talked about prior to this around, you know, really focusing on helping people is really, really important in that. And, um, you know, I, I think my ambition for it is that it, it'll be a, a, a center for people, first timers, right up to one of the athletes. But, um, you know, rubbing shoulders of successful people. And so I, I'm, a, again, a big believer in that. Um, if, um, you know, you're having a, bo- a poor day, you know, go rub sh- shoulders of someone that's having a good day and, and you'll find that that attitude changes. So the gym, uh, if you imagine basically a 24-7 gym, like a, um, a snap or an anytime fitness, uh, meets more of a performance-based gym, um, like some of you better say CrossFit boxes, sort of basically those two um put together but with again that sort of um that ethos around the the holistic well-being um you know knowing people's names birthdays all that sort of stuff some sort of lost art of service which we we see is um yeah we see yeah it's it's not as prevalent as it used to be that's those things that make all the difference in life you know um Mm -hmm. And I think a comment I mentioned to you a few days ago is that, you know, if, if the, the cleaners in our gym aren't happy, we're doing something wrong. And it's a case of just having that that, that positive uh, place where people see it as being a destination. Um, and, yeah, so hopefully by middle of next year, it'll be um, it'll be up and running or, or very close to being up and running. But, again, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so um, sometimes I delay things to make sure everything's, you know, all the cogs are, are turning in the right direction. Nice. So, last question. Um, 2020, Tokyo, is it? Yeah, Tokyo. yeah, Tokyo. Yep. Is, that, is that in the Costa plan? I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I did, as I say, I did retire after Yeah, Rio. yeah I was just saying, yeah. just come out of retirement. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, yeah. <laughs> Old habits die hard, you know. And so, basically, there's, uh, yeah, so there's different prongs to it. But I retired because it was like, no, it's time to start giving back to other people. But you know that when there's a fire you, you, the fire was burning in the belly still and and i was very much investing myself into my athletes and you know we are um, now the strongest club in new zealand um, based on results and medals and members of the new zealand team but what's even better is that we've now got coaches coming through that can lighten the load for me i am definitely more on the veteran end of the spectrum so um you know there is maybe about 5 to 10% of judo players on the international scene are my age and will be my age you know when 2020 rolls around but what I've pretty much um, decided is that if I can work towards that and, and aim towards that then I'll bring up my guys to do the same or, or 2024 for them so you know the the official line is that I'm taking that competition by competition, but I can tell you right now that on my computer is a detailed plan of the exact steps, <laughs> exact steps and financial breakdown to get towards Tokyo. So, um, you know, I think it's um, it's it's a it's a it's a goal, it's an aim, it's a challenge, but it's one of those ones that again I'm going to take it's the official line a competition at a time because. Um, you know, you, you're missing out on two Olympics. You don't take things for granted. And you realize that anything can happen on any given Sunday. Things can go wrong. So 
if I again enjoy the journey and um, you know I do the right things, then I think 18 months out we'll know for sure that it's going to be a goer. And as I say, hopefully we can um, finally get there as an athlete. <laughs> That's um, I look forward to seeing you action that plan um, and seeing how far you can take it. Um, I just want to thank you first of all for your hospitality that you and Moira have shown over the last um, couple of days. Um, really appreciate it. But then also want to thank you for sitting down and just um, talking about some of your experiences and and being able to link into how as as educators or teachers that we can incorporate some of those aspects. And I really like how for you at all, it's never about Jason. It's about your family. It's about your athletes. It's about Christchurch. It's always how you can contribute to um, your tribe and I think that's really powerful and I think we can all learn a little bit from um, just take stock a little bit and think about um, the fact that it's not it's not about us it's about other people and, and how, what we can do for other people and how we can contribute to society and I think that's really cool so yeah really appreciate your time and um, and I, I even just in this brief 30-40 minutes I've, I've learned a little bit more about you and um, you, you've moved up a couple of rungs of my arms. <laughs> <laughs> we're back on awesome. that podium. <laughs> so, cheers, yeah. mate. Awesome.